welcome to the Freestyle podcast series, bringing you real stories from those living with diabetes. We hear about the challenges they face and hope to provide some inspiration for living your best life. I'm Claudine, and today we're talking to Owen Quinn, a Freestyle Libre ambassador whose life is all about power. From his job in renewable energy to taking on amazing physical challenges on land and sea, he wants to prove that diabetes doesn't have to hold you back. Please remember that before making any changes to your diabetes management, discuss these with your healthcare team first. So hi, Owen, and welcome to the Freestyle podcast series. We're really excited to have you with us today. You're a man who loves a challenge. So let's start with the one that you faced for the longest. You were just four when you were diagnosed with type one. What do you remember about that? Hi, Claudine. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the kicking it off with a, a good hard question. Um, I suppose my, my first memory um, of being a type one, a type one diabetic um, was, as you said, at the age of four. And, and that that's me sitting in the hospital waiting lounge with my mother. And, um, you know, that really kind of resonates with me because I suppose it's it's one of my first ever memories. And I suppose it's one that's not necessarily a positive one. Um, it was a level of uncertainty there. There was a level of anxiety, a uh, level of worry. But for me, it's, 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 been a, it's been an incredible journey, I suppose, from understanding of what, what it was like being diagnosed and seeing what, where things have come to where they are now. Um, it's been a serious challenge. And uh, that's been the biggest challenge that anyone can ever face. Um, that diagnosis was was one that w- we were very new to the idea. We, up until that point, I'm one of four uh, children in my my family, and uh, you know illness never came into play. And it was all about it was a very big learning curve, not only for me, not only for my parents, but also my siblings. So not only was it a challenge just for me, it was a challenge for my surrounding my my surrounding team and family. Yeah, so there you touched on it. Obviously, getting a type 1 diagnosis isn't just the person with diabetes getting that diagnosis. It is around your whole family and being diagnosed, really. What was that like for your parents? How did they take take that on? I suppose for me, I was very close to my parents. Um, we, we, we have a, my parents are, are self-employed. We have a family-run business back in Ireland. And, um, you know, they're my, my folks are not only my parents, they're, they're as equally as my, my closest friends. And, you know, when you're going through this, you're learning together. And I remember the first time uh, they'd arranged for us to arrange for me to to attend a, an endocrinology appointment with with at the time was the kind of the, the leading face of type one diabetes in, in Ireland. Um, and it was a doctor called Dr. Ralph Cunahan. And Dr. Cunahan was able to I suppose, get on the, the level of a child and also at the same time, not only educate me, but also equally educate my parents. And I think that was really important because without that education, we would have been left in the dark. And there was a lot of guesswork for my folks. And it was about kind of filling that the, the gaps of uncertainty. Uh, so making sure that we were on the journey together, we were doing the right thing. And I remember, you know, as, as a young child, uh, all you want to do is get fixed, as I would have put it, and 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 go on and be able to go out and play with your friends and everything else. And uh, I remember Dr. Cunahan, he didn't, sh- he, he, there was no sugarcoating, and excuse the pun, but he, he said the things just so straightforward and candidly. And, and that's what actually I appreciated later on in life, 
was having that that ability to know exactly where you stood, where you were, and what you had to do in order to overcome your challenge that that faced you. And I asked the question to Dr. Kuna, you know, when will I be when will I be fixed or when will I be cured of this? And and he he openly he openly answered the question with, you know, in your lifetime, there possibly won't be a cure, but it's how you manage your diabetes. That's what's going to change. And I remember at that point looking across at my folks and seeing them get upset. And, and equally, it was a learning curve for me and us. Um, you know, technology wasn't, the technology that was around when I was diagnosed, you know, it, it's come a long way since then. And I think what I, what I like seeing now when you scroll through your social media is the level of technology that is on the market that helps that uncertainty of, for parents. You know, for me as a child going into back into school, I remember the, the concern and worry from my parents in, you know, bringing the teachers up to speed and having a backup Lucozade bottle in the secretary's office. So I'd have to put up my hand and say, I think I'm low and having to walk up to the secretary's office escorted by a fellow classmate. There was so much uncertainty there and it was so many balls in the air. You're trying to juggle it all. And, you know, that was that transpired onto me as a child, but also it would have weighed heavily on my parents as a, as a, as a distraction for, for, you know, my other siblings growing up. There's a lot of stigma about diabetes and, you know, the connotations, I think, of getting the mix between type one and type two. Was there any misunderstanding of what type of diabetes you had uh, with your friends and at school? Yeah, I think it, I completely agree with, with your with your with your question. You know, there, there is there is a, there's a massive stigma associated with it. And I felt I was, um, you know, if you're to paint the picture, newly diagnosed at the age of four, you're going into a new environment at school. You're you're having to be kind of treated a bit differently back then. You know, it was an area of concern. There was so much, you know, there wasn't any type one diabetic in my school at the time. I was the only one. And, you know, then you're describing it and then you're having to educate your your classmates, your new friends that, you know, this is this is diabetes. I'm not getting it because I'm overweight because I wasn't. Um, you know, this is this is because of my pancreas. So I was constantly talking about I was educating externally and at the same time trying to educate myself on how I become better at my management. And I suppose there was an element of frustration um, and I think, you know, I've mentioned it before, you know, there's a, is a, is a bit of a clink in your armor. And I think that's where it started for me. I was kind of that kind of feeling that you're having to prove yourself to yourself and also prove yourself to what you thought others saw diabetes as being a weakness. So you touched on there, obviously, you know, not having anyone in your school with type 1 diabetes in Ireland. When was the first time that you remember meeting someone with type 1 diabetes and how did that make you feel? I, I actually remember it well. I was in, uh, on a monthly basis, I would go up to Our Lady's Children's Hospital in Dublin, in Crumlin in Dublin. And I remember sitting in the waiting room and I, it was kind of, it was, a, it was a strange feeling because I felt I grew up in that waiting room. And I remember the first time I entered that waiting room, there was all these was children's toys and books. And I thought this is the most amazing thing ever. And then as I grew up along the way, it became more relevant to me. And I was in there to get a, a look at my input into my book, my diabetic input into my book. And I would go through the process. They checked my feet, my weight. I remember sitting in that waiting room with my father. And 
because it was treatment for for kids, you would all also see kids with their mother or their father in the same boat that we were in. And it was nearly looking at it from a, oh, how are they getting on? And it wasn't necessarily I had the opportunity to, to befriend them, but it was more so at that same time, each time I'd go there, we would see the same people and the same faces over and over again. And I suppose there was an element, to be really honest, of kind of being from a competitive landscape. <laughs> and maybe that's just me and my personality, but I was thinking, oh, how are they doing? You know, yeah, I suppose I never really had an opportunity to meet a, a, another type one diabetic until many years later. And I was around 12 years of age. On a weekend, my dad would take us hiking, myself and my brother and my sister. And we would always go for a walk up in the countryside. And I remember one time I got introduced to a, a chap who was, who was hiking as well. And he was a lot older than I was. And he was maybe in his early 30s, maybe late 20s. And I was only 12 years of age. And he was a type 1 diabetic. It was at that point where I was like, wow, look at him. You know, he's out walking with his friends. And I was like, okay, this, things are going to be okay. Because it, it goes back to that point, you know, you're not, really you're not really sure what the future holds. And I suppose that was the driver for me to be able to educate others that were newly diagnosed at a young age to show, look, everything's going to be fine. You know, it's, it's uh, just going to live your life. And it just so happens I've got type 1 diabetes. So exercise is one of the topics that we talk about with so many people around diabetes. It's one of those areas, I think, in most people's lives that can prove quite problematic, but also is something that you obviously want to do. How's diabetes been a part of your sporting life? For me, I came from a very active family. You know, we, we were always out running. We were always out playing football, playing hurling and, you know, very, very active from a sports perspective. Exercise for me was actually, to me, it's one of the foundations of managing my diabetes uh, as, as well as I can do. And with it, it also creates, it becomes a problem. In order for you to do your exercise, it has to be routinely built into your daily program. I call it a program because when you go out of that, deviate from that program, it does impact your blood sugars. And it's about being receptive enough to be able and predictive enough to be able to predict what's going to happen. So, you know, for, as a young age, I was able to control my blood sugars, knowing that I was running at on a Wednesday at seven o'clock every evening with, with the, the running club. And I was cycling to school in the morning because it allowed me to get the blood flowing and get my, I suppose, my endorphins flowing and my, you know, less dependent on insulin. And I knew my blood sugar wasn't going to spike. But again, looking back on it, if you were to have, say, the opportunity to have a, a predictive maintenance tool like the Freestyle Libra, not just a snapshot in time and understanding how, you know, exercise could have been opened up a lot more for me. You know, I stuck to the elements that weren't extreme, you know, running where I could stop and take a dextrose because I was always carrying a dextrose oil in my hand or equivalent of glucose um, or playing football and having bananas and leucosates at the sideline. And there was always that element of uncertainty. And I suppose... Diabetes for me is a providing the, the certainty for yourself that you can go out and do things and not have to be looking over your shoulder. So I limited it to things that I could control. So when we talk about exercise, most people don't talk about cycling 4,000 miles. That's definitely not my <laughs> ideal form of exercise. <laughs> How did you end up cycling from Ireland to Gaza? It was 2008 and my brother is a human rights lawyer. 
and we were talking Christmas time when we would all get together and, and he was telling me about the medical aid issues that were happening in Gaza. Without having proper access to medical aid, the kids and people with type 1 diabetes didn't actually have access to insulin. So we thought about initially driving a van full of um, medical aid over to Gaza. And then we realized, well, driving a van is quite easy. Let's actually show how close it actually is and we can ride our bicycles. And the insulin was just a, was a figure. Um, it was a visual for, for other diabetics to come on that journey. And that journey was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, we traveled, as you said, 4,000 miles, 6,000 kilometers in 40 days. Um, so that was knocking out 160 kilometers a day. The level of training that had to go into that, it was the first time where you get to strip back all the problems that you have in your diabetes and cut out all of the, the bad habits that you've developed. You put it all on the line. And it was, it was really, really exciting moment because the technology has moved on so much since then. When I did that challenge, it was important that I was surrounded by a good support team. So we had two close friends um, that drove the van. That was the ambulance, was the ambulance that was converted into. And that van went ahead every day and created our lunch, our dinner and set up camp. And we would ride the bikes. We got a, incredible support sponsors all along the way in terms of our equipment. But if you look at the medical technology and the level of innovation that was there for me controlling my type 1 diabetes at the time, it hadn't really moved on since when I was diagnosed from the age of four. For me, there was, that, there was always that level of unknown. So I was surrounded by people who knew me. And when you're putting your body on the line like that, and you're, you're pushing your body and you're climbing over the Alps and down the Alps. And I wasn't a cyclist. I didn't even own a bicycle. So it was, it was so important. And I remember I got to Bulgaria and it was a big, big marker because we'd at that point crossed the 2000 mile mark. And I was taking my blood sugar that much. I predicted that I would take my blood sugar six times a day. And it was obviously way too little. And I got to Bulgaria and I'd actually used up all my test trips. And I remember thinking, I can't tell this to the team. What am I going to do? I'm only halfway. And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? And at the same time, it so happened that the doctor on the team had also picked up the fact that I was running low and he hadn't said anything to me. And he'd arranged for my brother to fly into Bulgaria. And I remember seeing him where we camped up and he arrived in out of, the, out of nowhere and you're coming in and you're, you're wrecked, you're tired. You're actually really irritable. And, uh, and he appeared from behind the van holding multiple boxes of test strips. It was so emotional because, you know, I didn't want to open up about it. I was heavily reliant on these test strips to keep me going mentally, but also equally the team did too. So, yeah, it's, it was a, an incredible journey. What drives you to do these kind of challenges? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I got a taste for it. When, when you put everything on the line like that, and I realized I was a person cycling from Ireland to Gaza that so happened to have diabetes. I wasn't a diabetic cycling to Gaza. And I suppose it helped others that were, were suffering from type 1 diabetes to, um, I suppose, recognize that anything is possible. You know, you can achieve what you set out to do. I also enjoyed the, the adrenaline with it. I enjoy the idea of constantly pushing out a new marker of what a person can achieve. Again, a person, not a, not a diabetic, a person with diabetes. 
so yeah, I, I, I think I think there's a number of fundamentals there, but you know, along the way, we've we've done some other incredible challenges. That it's not that I'm a cyclist, or it's not that I'm a kite surfer, or it's you know, or a runner. You can pick something up, and if you focus on it, you can achieve it. If you say so, I'm, not, I'm definitely not <laughs> going to be kite surfing around the country. Right. So let's turn to your job, uh, the other power in your life, renewable energy. You deal with those amazing giant wind turbines that we see out at sea. What led you into this sector? Yeah, um, f- for me, it was um, at a young age, you could see, I, I think I-, I always wanted to be a part of something new. And I-, I was just blown away with this idea of renewable energy coming online. And I remember sitting down at a young age and reading about you know, solar farms being developed and and the potential of renewable energy and wave energy. And um, I went through university and I, I wasn't really sure I wanted, what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be a part of something that was going to be, I suppose, disruptive and being disruptive in a, in a positive way. That is, and I saw renewable energy being that at every, at every, I suppose, at every corner, it just started getting bigger and bigger. And with it then, climate change was becoming more relevant, not just climate change, but also the cost of renewables was coming down. So I I first started out in wave energy. I worked for an investment group that was involved in wave energy development that was based in Australia. And I was traveling from Australia back to Ireland, where we'd set up a a company there as well. So it was great. I got to see my family on a very regular basis. And then from there, then I, I started working into how we could grow the projects even bigger into, into offshore wind development. And of course, offshore wind today is, is one of the most topical things you can get. It's a, it's a future for the UK. It's the future for the globe, in fact. And the projects are getting bigger and it's becoming more and more relevant for us to have a, a sustainable future. So it's an exciting time. Again, it goes back to that thought of, you know, technology and innovation has come a long way in 10, 15 years. And um, I'm delighted to be a part of that disruptive change. So for many people talking about climate change, Greta Thunberg's a really inspirational figure, especially to the young kids. What inspires you generally in your life? Yeah, I think what inspires me, um, I suppose it goes back to that, that comment I provided earlier, which was disruptive, disruption. I like challenging the norm. You know, going back to the idea of me on my bicycle going across to Gaza or me on a kite surfing from France to Ireland. You know, these are, these are things that aren't necessarily normal. And it allows you to set a new benchmark for the next person. And these things wouldn't be possible without the level of innovation from a diabetics perspective. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's disruption. It's innovation. It's, it's the challenge setting new benchmarks. Um, that's what sets me. That's what gets me up in the morning, and that's that's everything from my work environment to my my lifestyle to my family. And um, yeah, I suppose that's my motivator. You know, how can I be the better me? <laughs> you know, it sounds yeah, cheesy, but I, I swear no. that's what gets me going. <laughs> definitely a good outlook on life. And um, so, obviously, nowadays with social media and the internet, there's advice and information in so many places for people with type one diabetes. Do you have one piece of advice that sticks with you? Yeah, I think uh, it would be be honest with yourself. I think without having that honesty, we can easily fool ourselves. And you know, I've I've done it. 
you know, I can set out and pretend that my diabetes is under control. I can paint a picture, but eventually everything will fall apart. And, you know, it's, you need to rely on your, your support team, your network, your family, your friends, your loved ones. And it's also just having that honesty. It will help you become a better diabetic and will help you, I suppose, achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, I think it's, uh, that would be my one piece of advice. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I mean, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story. It's been quite inspirational. If you want to track Owen's next big challenge, you can follow him on Twitter, where he's at OwenQuinn1. That's E-O-G-H-A-N-Q-U-I-N-N-1. And if you want more information about living with diabetes, then check out our fantastic education site, Freestyle Progress. There you can find the Freestyle Academy, tutorial videos, webinars, the rest of this podcast series, and lots more. That's all online at progress.freestylediabetes.co.uk. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The information provided is not intended to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment or as a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your physician or qualified health provider regarding your condition and appropriate medical treatment. Individual symptoms, situations and circumstances may vary.